0: gifts and let's pray over blessing you for your generosity and let's open our hearts to the message today father in heaven I thank you God for a spirit of generosity that exists in this family I thank you Lord for a spirit of faithfulness That exists in this family i thank you lord for those that are faithful to tithe and to give so that lord guests can come and not have to worry about giving anything they can just be blessed and they can receive and i thank you lord that your word teaches us that a spirit of generosity will break bondages lord father i pray that we would not give as paul said not to give grudgingly or under compulsion or simply out of necessity but we would give joyfully and cheerfully continue to expand and make a spirit of generosity contagious among us So that any bondages that we have in our lives will be broken. I pray for freedom in every area of our lives, Lord. In every area of our lives. And Father, now we look to your word. We thank you for your word. And we open our hearts, even as we've opened our heart to your spirit. We open our minds to your spirit. We open our minds and our our spirits and our souls to what you would pour into us through your word. Lord, I pray today that we would receive your knowledge. We would receive your wisdom we would receive your understanding today about some very important things in jesus name amen amen so we're continuing a series in the book of genesis we are at the very beginning of the book of beginnings and uh, we're going to be looking today at genesis chapter 1 verse 27 and then we're going to skip over to chapter 2 verses 18 through 25 so whether it's on an app or a pad or a phone or a hard copy and if you don't have a bible you can hold up your hand and we'll have somebody bring you a bible if you don't have a bible hold up your hand we'll have somebody bring you a bible if you don't own a bible you can keep it we'd be glad for you to have it but we're continuing this series in the book of beginnings and our our big idea for this series is that the first story in the bible tells us some of the most foundational truths about god and humanity some of the most if we don't understand these things there's going to be a lot that we don't understand and a lot of times we skip over passages of scripture that have become so familiar to us that we just kind of well i've done that before i've read that before i've studied that before but we're going back and looking at some of these passages that we kind of take for granted we don't want to take the truths that they teach us for granted so the first story in the Bible tells us some of the most foundational truths about God and humanity and as I've been restudying this I've looked at six I'm looking at six basic foundational truths that we need to know about God and about us and first we said God exists and he is the creator God exists and he is the creator all of these messages are online on our website second the second truth we looked at is that the biblical creation story makes perfect sense the biblical creation story makes perfect sense the last two weeks we've been looking at the third foundational truth that we see here in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and that is that humanity was created in the image of God and over the last couple of weeks we looked at two aspects of it we said the image of God is in you but not only is the image of God in you the image of God is in every person so this brings us today to the fourth truth the fourth of these six foundational truths about God and humanity now I said last week that in some ways these might be difficult messages I want you to stick with me I want you to hear me out in a couple of weeks the message is going to be super encouraging okay <laughs> but the Bible deals with the whole of our lives the Bible deals with everything we deal with the Bible deals with controversial subjects and Everybody who calls themselves Christians do not always agree with one another on all the issues isn't that isn't that true They're Christians, but they don't always agree on certain things now. I want to say again. I'm not angry I don't want to come off as angry My goal is to speak the truth in love. I want to tell you I do not have all the answers but if I if I know an answer And someone disagrees with me I want to speak the truth to that person and as I speak the truth to them I also want to be heard as loving them while I'm speaking the truth to them not shouting them down so that's my heart that's my attitude so so here is the fourth foundational truth that I find here in the beginning of the story God designed male and female With intention and purpose so on the first pages it's on the very first foundational beginning opening story one of the first things God wanted us to know along with creation and along with the image of God being in us look at Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 so God created human beings God created human beings in his own image in the image of God He created them, male and female, he created them. This is God's work. Now again, this is going to kind of be a difficult message maybe to walk through, but, but our culture is attacking this truth without mercy today. This is a huge attack that I believe is coming from Satan himself. It's not just an attack on our culture, and it's not just an attack in our culture. It is an attack on all humanity. It is an attack on the image of God that he placed within people. And it didn't just start recently, because actually Paul addressed gender nonconformity in his letters to the Corinthians. Some of the passages of Corinthians about male and female that people get confused about and argue about, they misunderstand it because they don't don't realize that there were women who were going into the church in Corinth who were trying to pass themselves off as men. There were people in the church of Corinth blurring the gender lines. And that's why you've got to interpret some of those passages of scriptures knowing what was going on then. So it's not new. It was happening in Corinth when the New Testament was written. But for our culture and our time, For our culture and our time, the attack on this truth begins when we think that we do not need both male and female. And when we think that there is no need for both a mother and a father in a home. Once, once the culture believed that you needed a license, you had to get a license. To get married and live together why why what's the point of that what's the point of the whole marriage license anyway well because you needed to show yourself responsible enough to bring other humans into the world and be responsible for them like a license to drive you got to show yourself responsible enough to get a license to drive a car you have to get a hunting license to show yourself responsible enough to go out in the woods and hunt and the marriage license is the same there was a reason for that the culture our culture I know some of you don't remember this but this was part of the United States of America for most of its history until recent history the culture as a whole had a man and a woman waiting for marriage to get married I know, I know. Radical, isn't it? Wow. I'm telling you, you want to be radical, you want to get go against the grain. you want to be countercultural. You want to blow people's minds. Wait until you're married to have sex and live together. You, you will blow people's minds. But they needed to have this level of responsibility in order to have small, tiny, impressionable, needy humans in their home. Now, our culture believes that sex can happen indiscriminately, and if the child is inconvenient, you just kill the child. If you have the child, well, they don't need both male and female in order to have the complete influence that will make them the most healthy and whole. This is an attack on, in the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. And this attack on in the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them moves on when we believe that families are fine with two daddies, but no mommies. Or fine with two mommies, but no daddies. It's an attack on humanity. It's not just an attack on God. It is a satanic attack on the highest of God's creation, all of humanity. And this attack moved forward when... Just a few years ago, we sanctioned those relationships by putting what used to be the sanction of marriage. We began to put that on two men or two women. It is a confusion of God's order and God's plan, and it is destructive. And it happened because of Genesis chapter 3. All of this mess is explained in the Bible, too. It happened in Genesis 3. Chapter 3, it is an outgrowth of the first man and the first woman who believed that they knew how to live their lives better than God's plan. Outside of God's plan, disregarding God's plan. And this attack is further seen when the father abandons the home. When the father abandons the home, leaves the mother to do it all, it's an attack on in the image of God he created them, male and female, He created them, but let's be clear about where this attack comes from. The attack in the garden came from the tempter. And the attack today comes from the same place. Ephesians chapter six, verse 12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, folks. We're not fighting against politicians. We're not fighting against school educators. We're not fighting against, you know, revolutionary, radical, sexual revolutionaries or whatever. We are fighting against, we are not, not, not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but we are fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. That's where the battle is. Against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So we've got to know where the attack comes from because if we forget that, we will be shooting at people that we are supposed to be loving. A couple of months ago, just a couple of months ago, one of our own Tennessee united states senators asked the most recent supreme court justice this question what is a woman the supreme court justice who was a nominee at the time claimed that she could not answer that question it's mind-blowing isn't it a documentary has been produced by the same name called what is a woman put together by matt walsh and the daily wire The documentary examines the question and attempts to show that there is a clear distinction between male and female, that the science is certainly clear on that, biology is certainly clear on that, and that the attempts to erase male and female as objective truth is resulting in horrible abuse to our children. And already, many are growing to regret the life-altering, irreversible choices they have made in moments of confusion. This didn't just start yesterday. There is enough now that there there have been studies done on those who have transitioned their genders. Ten years ago, the vast majority of them are unhappy with depression and regrets greater than they had before they transitioned. It is destructive. It is a satanic lie. Yet the pursuit of erasing gender and changing gender continues unabated in our culture. Pastor, why are you on this? Male and female, he created them. The image of God, the design of God. Not my, it's not my idea. I didn't come up with the idea of boys and girls. It wasn't my idea. It wasn't any preacher's idea. It was God's idea. For a purpose. Now, Matt Walsh, this is interesting, just stay with me. Matt Matt Walsh, who produced this documentary called What is a Woman, he, he claims to be a Christian, yet in the documentary he he makes no reference at all to God, no reference at all to Jesus or the Bible in the documentary. And he's saying he, he simply wanted to present what he sees as clear, objective truth in the face of what he sees to be ridiculous and destructive. And he didn't want references to God or Jesus or the Bible to prejudice his argument because he thought, well, they'll just, they'll just dismiss me as a radical Christian freak nut. So, so he produced the documentary without any references whatsoever to his faith. Now, I have not seen the documentary, and I I don't endorse everything that comes from Matt Walsh in the Daily Wire, but there's another guy named Jason Whitlock who wrote a commentary about the documentary. Now, Jason Whitlock, he he was a sports journalist and a sports columnist, but he's expanded now beyond the world of sports to speak into our culture at large, and so he titled his recent column, Matt Walsh's What is a Woman is Great, But America Must First Relearn What is a Christian. It's not a preacher. This is a, this is a sports journalist and columnist who's, who's now got a, a blog and a podcast that discusses much wider things than sports. Matt Walsh's, what is a woman is great, but America must first relearn what is a Christian. Here's, here's some of what he said in that column. And I, I'm saying this because I agree with it, and I don't think it can be said much better than he said it. So, so Whitlock says, over the course of 90-plus minutes... Matt Walsh is captivating an important documentary, What is a Woman? Never Mentions God. Walsh frames his documentary as a search for truth. Based on his finished product, his hunt for truth never led him to a church or forced one of his interview subjects to reference God or Jesus or the Bible. So he says Walsh's film is worldly. It fights a spiritual war on secular terms. And he says, Christians have publicly de-emphasized their faith. They foolishly believe that they can win public debates without ever invoking the ultimate authority. And he says, my problem is that that war is controlled and defined and graded by the secular industries, the media, the entertainment, technology, and secular institutions, academia, and politics. And there are the sworn Enemy of evangelicals best soldier who is Jesus Christ So that war is fought on unwinnable terms for believers He's saying if we if we leave Jesus and the Bible out of our arguments, we're going to lose It forbids use of prayer the Holy Spirit and the gospel, but the war that we can win is spiritual And if we win that war, the proper politics will fall into place because the culture will demand it. But America has abandoned a biblical worldview. God created the man-woman binary. It's in the Bible. It's not up for debate. The confusion over this issue is man-made and satanic. Then he references Dr. Marcy Bowers. Dr. Marcy Bowers, America's most prolific transgender surgeon. They make about 70 grand a pop, by the way, so, you know, there's an economic incentive for this. Dr. Marcy Bowers, America's most prolific transgender surgeon, inadvertently, rep- inadvertently references the satanic origin of transgenderism within the first 10 minutes of the documentary. Bowers tells Walsh, We're altering the physical characteristics of the individual to fit better with a gender identity that is female. The surgeries are quite refined in the sense that not only do they look like female anatomy, but they also function that way for the most part. Certainly, it's sort of a Faustian bargain. Okay, what is a Faustian bargain? What in the world does that mean? It's from an ancient play. A Faustian bargain is a reference to a deal with the devil. So here's one of the country's leading transgender surgeons describing the medical procedure and she admits this is a deal with the devil. Trading the soul for worldly favor. Bowers is an expert in this exchange because he personally made the trade to live his truth as a woman. Fifty minutes into the documentary, Walsh and a female psychiatrist named Miriam Grossman explained that America's gender dysphoria is owed to two wicked men, Alfred Kinsey and John Money. Kinsey lived from 1894 to 1956. He is a celebrated American biologist. He founded the Kinsey Institute for Research in Sex and Gender and Reproduction at Indiana University. By the way, at the time, Kinsey did his research, and I know a little bit about this because we lived in Indiana most of our lives, and they still have the Kinsey Institute on the campus of Indiana University. Some people refer to Bloomington, Indiana as the People's Republic of Bloomington, but at the campus of Indiana University is the Kinsey Institute for Sex and Research. But at the time, Kinsey did his research most of america still live by a biblical worldview so in order to get his research he had to he had to interview and do all of his research mostly on incarcerated people who had been incarcerated for sexual crimes and sexual perversion so anytime 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 you read or hear anything that's referenced by kinsey know that it is not research done based on the normal public it's research based on those who were incarcerated for crimes of deviant sexual perversion and yet the results of the research are put out as normal deny anything deny anything that comes from the kinsey institute he wrote two infamous books, Sexual Behavior in the, Mo- in the Human Male and Sexual Behavior in the Human Female. He is the founding father for normalizing human perversion. He was an atheist and he was bisexual himself. Grossman told Walsh he wanted to rid society of Judeo Christian values when it came to sexuality. He worked very hard to do that, and I would say he succeeded anything from kinsey is satanic and demonic. And then there's John Money who lived from 1921 to 2006. He's a celebrated psychologist. He invented the concepts of he invented. He invented the concepts of gender identity, gender roles and sexual orientation. He was a pioneer in advocating for sexual reassignment. He fought to normalize pedophilia, which is already happening in our culture. There are many who are promoting this, many who are campaigning it, and and for them it is the logical next step in the evolution that they are seeking. He argued that boys as young as 10 could engage in consensual sex with men in their 20s and 30s. Money is a founding father of transgenderism. The gender dysphoria movement is rooted in hostility to religious faith. It is satanic. I'm still working from Whitlock's column because it's so good and I agree with it. Religious faith is rooted in respect for and accepting of and pursuit of truth. The absence of God signifies an absence of truth. Hostility to truth signifies a hostility toward God. So the war on truth is spiritual and there is zero advantage to avoiding the spiritual aspects of this. Again, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It is good versus evil. It is God versus Satan. It is the oldest and most compelling historical narrative in the history of the planet. As you can see, it started in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. So only God, only God can save us from the madness that what is a woman exposes. He says the documentary put the wrong people in the crosshairs. Christians, most especially ministers, so I'm preaching to myself need to be shamed, embarrassed, and ridiculed. Our churches and leaders, the institutions and people that reflect our collective will, bow to politics and the social media matrix far more than truth. We allow them to choose political allies rather than spiritual ones. So we no longer believe in the power of the gospel. We no longer believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. So he says before we answer what is a woman, we need to relearn the meaning of being a Christian. That fundamental understanding will directly lead to a reckoning for ministers who have cut their own Faustian bargains transitioning from so-called disciples to political actors. So let's go to Genesis chapter 2 now. Genesis chapter 2, God puts the male and female in a garden. They've got the image of God in them. No other aspect of creation does except humanity. The image of God, male and female, he puts them in a garden to tend it, to work it, to care for it, to multiply the creation there. Genesis chapter 2, everything is still perfect as God intended and designed it to be. No fallen nature, no sinful desires. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God placed the man in the garden of eden to tend it and watch over it and then verse 18 then the lord god said it is not good for the man to be alone i will make a helper who is just right for him so the lord god formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky he brought them to the man to see what he would call them And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from a man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Now think of this. uh, Another very good book I'd recommend to you is by a man named Dan Kimball. The book is called How Not to Read the Bible. (laughs) How Not to Read the Bible, And 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 he discusses all the seemingly confusing passages of scripture today that a lot of people use to to attack god and christianity and and he says there are some questions that come up when you read this phrase in genesis 2 18 it is not good for the man to be alone i will make a helper suitable for him it has been incorrectly taught listen It has been incorrectly taught that this verse indicates the woman is in some way less than the man when it says she was created as a helper for the man. In our contemporary English language, when we think of a helper, we think of an assistant to a more skilled person or a subordinate. But the meaning of the word to the original audience of Genesis is different. The Hebrew word, Moses wrote this now, Moses wrote this and the Hebrew word he was writing in Hebrew, and the word is ezer, E-Z-E-R. It is translated as helper. It appears not just here, but it appears more than 20 times in the Old Testament, okay? So this very same word saying he needs a helper, he needs a helper suitable, it appears more than 20 times in the Old Testament, and nearly every single time that word appears, it refers to God. Think of that psalm 33 verse 20 we wait in hope for the lord he is our help and our shield same word that's used when god said he needs a helper and since this word so often refused to god god is clearly not inferior to those he helps is he when it refers to the woman it is not saying that she is inferior or that she has less importance the point is not about worth or value, but that God created both, the man and the woman, so that they would not be alone. They need each other. God gives the man and the woman a partner, one who equally but differently reflects the image of God. Another amazing thing that we see in Genesis chapter 2 is the creative process of making man and woman. There's this strange part where God causes the man to fall into a deep sleep. He removes one of his ribs, creating Eve from it. The Hebrew word that's used there that we translate into the English word rib is the word selah. In other passages where this word or its variants are used, it it usually is translated to the English word side. It's where your ribs are, the side. But, But other places where this same word is used, in architecture, the word is used to describe the opposing sides of a structure. In the book of Exodus, written by Moses, same guy who wrote this story about Eve coming out of Adam's side or rib. The book of Exodus, also written by Moses, the same word is used to refer to equal sides of the Ark of the Covenant same author using this word to refer to equal sides equal parts the word is also used for the sides of the altar in both cases meaning equal and opposite sides of the object just like sides of these altars right here so god was communicating that in the beginning he created adam and eve to be a beautiful image of two equal parts side by side with no subordination or inequality they were not identical but they were equal they're mutually together serving God in community together with no hierarchy or chauvinism or polygamy wasn't God's plan there are no female in the kitchen or barefoot and pregnant jokes in the Bible In the beginning they were designed to serve God together as equals and God even says they are one flesh So clearly the creation of man and woman male and female created in the image of God is a story of two parts Equal but different clearly different and clearly meant to go together fit together and be together Now it says it's not good it's not good for the man to be alone when he Prior to the creation of Eve. Why is it not good? John Mark Comer says in his book, Loveology. Why is it not good? Well, there are two problems. First, Adam is alone. That's a problem because he's created in the image of God and God exists in a web of relationships. God didn't create humans because he was lonely. God was never lonely. He's never been lonely. There is the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They've got a tight relationship so much so that you can't hardly tell the difference between them. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in relationship. So he created us in his image to be like him, to reflect him, and aloneness is not a reflection of him. Isolation is not a reflection of him. So it was not good when the man was to be alone because to be in the image of God means to be in complementary relationships. Adam was hardwired For relationship so his aloneness is not a good thing the second problem is one of logistics Adam is called upon to take care of the garden this is not a quarter of an acre in your backyard This, this garden if you do the math if you do the math you figure out the garden was the size of a continent so it's not a garden in the sense of a park it's more like a national forest And he sticks Adam there by himself to take care of this massive massive square millions of square miles of wilderness It's wild and untamed teeming with potentiality. It's too much work for one man. He needs help There is a calling on Adam's life, but he cannot do it alone He needs a helper suitable for him. So God says I'll make a helper suitable for him And again, that word helper, we talked about it already, is Ezer in Hebrew. It sounds kind of derogatory when we translate it into English like God made Adam this personal assistant. But it's not that way at all in the original language. Ezer can be translated partner, one who comes alongside to help achieve a goal. The exact same word is used for God in the Psalms. The psalmist sings, the Lord is with me, he is my helper. In other places, that same word is used of military reinforcements without which an army would be crushed. So a helper is not an employee, a helper is not someone who works for you, a helper is not someone you boss around, a helper is an equal. Genesis uses the adjective suitable, meaning helper suitable, one on the same level. If it's someone you love and respect, it's one who comes alongside as a partner in a project, as an ally in war. We all need that kind of helper. Put it another way, we all need help. Anybody here need some help? But we are also unique. In Adam's poem in Genesis chapter 2, he says, She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. In Hebrew, it's a wordplay. It says, She shall be called Isha, for she was taken out of Ish. It's Adam's way of saying, She's like me, but she's not like me. She's familiar, but she's different. She's strange. She's unique. Folks, the bottom line is we are not unisex. We are male and female, and it's God's design, and it's a wonderful thing. And confusion on that comes from the enemy. So we are now living in a time that was described in the Old Testament book of Judges. So this is not new, but Judges chapter 17, verse 6, and chapter 21, verse 25 says, All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. You do your truth, I'll do my truth. Everybody does whatever they think they want to do. But Proverbs 12, 15 says, Fools think their own way is right. Proverbs 21, 2 says, People may be right in their own eyes, but it's the Lord that examines the heart. Isaiah fifty or Isaiah chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, what sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. What sorrow for those who are wise in their own eyes and think themselves so clever. So listen to me now very carefully. While we must recognize, as we've said, that this is a spiritual battle, we've got to pray about this issue more than we talk about it. And if we're not going to pray about it, we should stop talking about it. If you're not going to pray about this, stop talking about it. Talking without praying won't do any good. And actually, talking without praying could do harm. And we've got to remember what we've said the last couple of weeks. The image of God is everyone. The image of God is in every human being. And we must speak the truth in love. But listen. I've thought of these words very carefully. When we see what is happening with transgenderism being thrust upon our children, children being operated on, castrated, mutilated, when the children are not old enough or wise enough to make any other significant decisions anywhere else in our society, they can't drive, they don't have a high school diploma, some haven't gotten past grade school yet. They can't buy a gun they can't serve in the military they don't know where they're going to college they don't know what they're going to study but they can decide of their own volition to have body mutilating surgery because they're simply confused i have to have compassion on them and i must say to those who are thrusting this on our society and those who are complicit in these acts even though the image of God is in them, and I should pray for them more than I talk about them, I must say what Matthew chapter 18 verse 6 says, if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. That was so important, it was restated in Mark 9:42. but if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. Twice wasn't good enough, he had to say it a third time, Luke 17, 2 and 3, it would be better to be thrown in the sea with a millstone hung around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. So watch yourselves. Comer says also in his book, Loveology, he he says he's a God who's really into the family. In Genesis, family is the building block of society as a whole. No wonder Satan wants to destroy families. And destroy the concept of family and say a family can be whatever we think it is or want it to be but throughout the scriptures God is called father and we are sons and daughters brothers and sisters family is at the heart of God's vision for the world and and I would say to those whose families are broken to those who have lost their families to those who have lost aspects of their families for those who don't have a mom and a dad Due to all the reasons we've discussed. What's the solution for that? Where's the help for that? It's us. If your family's broken. Welcome to the family. If your family's not whole. The church is to be the place where you find that wholeness. It's us. That's God's plan for the church. To be the healing in the broken world. To provide to fill in the gaps where there are gaps. It's us. The church is the new family. We, we hold up the apostles. The apostles were great leaders. The apostles were great examples. Who, who would say, who would say we should not emulate any one of the apostles? And yet, the vast majority of the apostles weren't married, never married. Didn't have children, but they were family. They were God's family, brothers and sisters. And for all the brokenness, there was, there was tremendous brokenness in the world when the church was birthed. The church became a family. So I pray that God will help us to understand that humanity was created in the image of God. God designed male and female with intention and purpose. I pray that God would keep us from confusion. I pray that God would fill us with his love. I pray that God would fill us with the Holy Spirit. And I pray that God would somehow enable us to pray more than we talk and then share these truths in love. May God help us. As the the hymn writer Fanny Crosby said, may God help us to rescue the perishing. Care for the dying snatch them in pity from sin in the grave weep or the erring one lift up the fallen. tell them of jesus the mighty to save rescue the perishing care for the dying jesus is merciful jesus will save though they are sliding him still he is waiting waiting the penitent child to receive plead with them earnestly plead with them gently he will forgive if only they believe Down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter, feelings lie buried that grace can restore. Touched by a loving heart, wakened by kindness, cords that were broken will vibrate once more. Rescue the perishing. Duty demands it. Strength for thy labor, the Lord will provide. Back to the narrow way, patiently win them. Tell the poor wanderer a savior has died. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. So now I ask, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? Who do you know that is broken? Who do you know who needs family? Who is God leading you? accept and welcome into your family father we thank you today for your love lord we thank you today for our broken world and we thank you today lord that you are light in darkness lord we look around at our world and we look around at our culture and we see such brokenness and we see such confusion Lord, some know they're confused, and some are so confused they don't even know they're confused. They're living by what they think is truth and promoting what they think is truth, and yet they are as confused as can be. And that confusion comes from a place of brokenness. and We also know, Lord, that it comes from a place where the enemy, our spiritual enemy, works rebellion in our hearts we want to live without god we want to live without authority we want to live we think is free and yet it brings more bondage the only freedom is in surrender to your will and your plan for lord you you designed us for a good plan and you show us the plan and you tell us to walk in the plan and you tell us not to get off the path because you know outside of the path there's destruction outside of the path there's pain outside of the path there's spiritual attack and 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 death but inside this path there is your presence and your holy spirit father god help us first of all to know your way and to live in your way to practice your way and then help us lord to lovingly call people who are off the path onto it so that they might find the plan that you have for your lives because you have a plan that's designed us for joy Lord, you're the healer of the brokenness. You're the healer of the brokenness. Right now, I know as we think and as we pray, there's got to be people who come to your heart and your mind who are confused and who are broken and you love them. And maybe you've been in arguments with them. Maybe you've been in heated arguments with them. Maybe there's maybe there's been offenses and maybe even you need to apologize maybe not for what you've said but how you've said it and and maybe you need to go to somebody and reiterate and restate your love for them but there's somebody you know that's broken somebody you know that's broken somebody you know that needs healing i just want you to pray right now just begin to pray for them right now when i pray for the ones i'm thinking of right now that are broken that are confused that have lost their way. They were even raised, Lord, with truth. They were raised to follow you. But Lord, they've, they've come to believe a lie. They've come to believe something else. And it's brought hurt. And it's brought pain. And it's brought destruction. Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would gently, lovingly woo them back. Lead us, guide us, whether to speak or not to speak. What to say. How to say it. With what manner and what attitude to say anything with. Or just to step back and pray without speaking. Let your Holy Spirit do the work. Lord, sometimes we need to plant the seeds and then just sit and wait for your Holy Spirit to put the rain on the seeds we've planted. Lord, take the weeds out of our own hearts. Take the weeds out of our own lives. Take anything, Lord, in us that is not pleasing to you. As the psalmist wrote, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in your way everlasting. Lord, help me not to be running around pointing fingers at so many issues that I see that I fail to see how you are trying to take the weeds out of my own life. The, the confusion out of my own life. The, the destruction that comes in my own life because I'm busy looking at everybody else's garden and not my own. I thank you, Lord, that you created us in your image. I thank you, Lord, that you want us to be a reflection of your image. And I thank you, Lord, that you created us male and female and i pray god that the work of the enemy would be defeated especially in lives that are close to us as we said as we began this service the earth is the lord's and everything in it lord this city is yours our kids are yours our grandkids are yours our schools are yours our workplaces are yours everything in this world is yours and we pray god especially in our area of influence and where we live and those who we come in contact with god that that we would be able to bring a restoration of your loving truth and that there would be healing for confusion and brokenness. If you today are here or you're watching online and you're not a follower of Jesus, but you've been convicted that you need to change your ways, the Holy Spirit is the only one who can help us change our ways. And to follow Jesus, there is a beginning point, just like there's a starting line at a race. There's a beginning point to following Jesus. It is only the starting point, it's only the beginning. Sometimes we think this beginning point is it. We pray a prayer and we think we've arrived. But it's a starting point, it's a beginning point. And we say, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus, I'm going to acknowledge my sins. I'm going to receive his forgiveness, and then I'm going to start on a new path of following him. You won't be perfectly on that path every day for the rest of your life, but you'll be on a path of following him. There there won't be a lack of resistance and difficulties at times, but you'll be on a path of following him, being with him to become more like him. And if today you want to turn around, take a new road, take a new path, and start this journey, I would would be honored if you would pray with me. And I'll lead you in a prayer, if this is your heart, to follow Jesus, to begin, to begin to be a follower and a pursuer of Jesus and his absolute truth that is loving and life-giving. I want to invite you to pray with me, and I want our church family to pray with us together. It's a matter of saying, I realize I've sinned, and I realize Jesus is God, died on the cross to take away my sins. It's faith. It's not becoming a member of a church. It's not starting to do more good things than bad things and all that other kind of stuff. It's putting our faith in Jesus and saying, I need to turn and walk a new path. So pray with me right now, if you would. Father in heaven, I thank you for Jesus. Lord Jesus... You are God. You died on the cross in my place because I'm a sinner. I receive your offer of forgiveness and eternal life. I claim you as Lord and help me to be your follower. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's just thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for his goodness. Thank the Lord for his grace. Thank the Lord for his forgiveness. There is no one else no one else like our god praise the lord if you prayed that prayer today maybe for the first time or for the first time in a long time i would invite you to let us know on that card that we referenced earlier so that you could let us know and we want to pray for you we want to pray for god to help you and lead you and guide you and direct you I want the worship team to come back and the prayer team to come to the front if you have if you have a need today, any need whatsoever in your life, we want you to come for prayer. Maybe some of you, like last week, we just came and knelt around these altars to pray specifically for people we know that we want to see. We want to see their lives change. We want to see them come to know Jesus. We want to see them come to know his truth. If you want to come and just spend some time around the altars praying, praying for our next generation, praying for our schools, praying for our, uh, praying for our community do that. But if you have a specific need in your life, our prayer team is here to pray with you, pray for healing, pray for your friends, pray for your family, to anoint you with oil and believe God for whatever you might need in your life. Let's come. Let's receive prayer. Let's spend some time in prayer. When the music fades,
1: all is slipped away, and I simply come. Thank you, Jesus. Longing just to The Lord, together today, I'll bring you more than a song. Lift him up, lift your voice. Let's worship the Lord. Come if you you have a need, we want to pray with you. Thank you, Jesus. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back. It's all about you.
0: It's all about you,
1: Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I made it. When it's all. endless Oh, Help us to see your plan, help us to see your purpose for our lives, for our community Lord.
0: bless you and to bless one another and to be in your presence. Lord, as we go, help us to take the kingdom of God with us. Help us to realize we are representatives of the kingdom of God, and we bring the kingdom of heaven near to everyone in our community that we come in contact with, Lord. Help us to speak the truth in love, God. Free us from confusion. Lord, help us to be your light in the darkness of our community, we pray in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. If you need to go today, God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Go in the goodness of God. Go in the blessing of God. We're going to stick around here for a little while, worship team and prayer team. If you want prayer, you want to spend some more time in prayer, just feel free to come. We're here for you today. Oh, here I am to worship.